the Gender Agenda, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming radio on Joy 94.9. Folks, welcome back to the Gender Agenda here in podcast form. It's been a while, folks. It has been a while. I feel a bit rusty. Yeah, it's very weird not coming into the city every week. It really is. But uh, you're here again with Miranda, Rebecca, and Rowan. How are we doing, team? How, we, how have we been doing on your time off? We've been good. Well, I've been good. I've, I've been busy. I've been busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Working, projects, et cetera, et cetera. Same here. Missing being able to go on radio and hang out with you guys. It's been weird being at Joy and not seeing you guys around. I'm still on Geeks Out, of course, and been stopping by Trans POV a fair bit. Nice. But uh, we, have, we have a guest here joining us for this very special podcast episode. Rebecca, do you want to tell us about who we have tonight? We do. So I think we're going to do things a little bit differently in our little podcast world that we're now doing while we're currently on a bit of a break. But um, we're going to be focusing purely on interviewing people and yes. um, today, tonight, whatever time it is you're listening to our podcast, we are going to be speaking to the wonderful Andrea, who is a member of the LGBTIQA plus community, but more specifically, uh, they are an advocate for the intersex community and was also one of the stars um, on the recent episode of You Can't Ask That, which was the very special intersex episode, which people might have seen because it's already aired. So Andrea's going to talk to us about all things intersex and probably kill a few myths and talk to us a little bit about the history and just a little bit about her journey as well. Uh, this is This might be a little bit awkward as well, because this is probably the first time I've had... I'm going to be having a really in-depth discussion about intersex with an intersex person. Even though I've known other intersex people, I've never actually talked about the subject directly. So, Andrea, I'm really sorry for some of, Apologies the, in advance. Some of the hiccups we're probably going to have. But, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for coming in this evening and, and uh, going through the ringer with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I think we're about to um, have happened to us what cis people feel like when they talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's like the cis... Like, we're the, we're the we're awkward like ones living, now. We're living like the cis brain of being like, oh my God, I don't want to be offensive. Don't say anything inappropriate. Don't ask a stupid question. Well, what we might do is uh, we might approach Andrea pretending that we don't know anything about intersex. We, we might know just a little bit, but we're going to pretend we know absolutely nothing. So my first question to you right now is... For those who might be hearing this word intersex for the first time, how would you explain it to them? Well, intersex is one of those things that's you know, very common. Um, one in every 50 people roughly is born intersex. And dinosaurs were even even born intersex. So, you know, it's nothing strange. It's just that it's one of those things that's hidden from the rest of the world by the medical community. Yeah, this is one of those things we, we never, ever talk about. So how do we identify or how is a person identified? Because when I say, how do we identify intersex people, that makes, that makes it sound like we're trying to track you down or something. But how, how are intersex people, like what defines an intersex person? Well, if you were to go down to Flinders Street Station during peak hour, look left and right, you'd see thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, one in 50 people amongst the, that crowd there are intersex. You can't tell us apart. We're just people. Mm. We just happen to have either a chromosomal, hormonal, uh, or a de- um, physical developmental uh, difference to what would be considered normally male or female. Okay. Um, how does one... 
how did you discover that you were intersex? Well, that was a very complicated process. <laughs> I actually developed a tumour uh, in my early 30s. And um, the doctors couldn't really identify the tissue that, it, that uh, they were looking at. And they were a little bit puzzled. So they ushered me into surgery within two days. I actually dragged it out to three days. And um, I think during the follow-up with the surgeon, he basically informed me that I, that, oh, did you know that you were born intersex? I said, what's that? Had no idea what it was, never heard of it before, and um, lo and behold, all this new revelation. He proceeded to explain to me that um, I was born with Kleinfelters and that I was um, born with two sets of chromosomes. Consequently, that explained a lot of the you know, early development that I went through. So, Andrea, finding that out in your 30s, was there any kind of, I guess, inkling or sign for you growing up that that, that might have been the case or was that completely fresh news to you? Well, it kind of explained a lot of things about my uh, development, particularly during puberty. Originally, I was assigned male at birth, but it was... It's a case of, well, you have kind of a... To uh, it's a bit of a toss-up between are you a boy or a girl? And there's this delineation point of four centimetres or inch and a half or something like that. If you're under, you're a girl. If you're over, you're a boy. I fell into the boy side, but my development didn't really take place like a normal boy would. Um... My bits didn't really develop. And then during puberty, I developed uh, breasts, broader uh, hips, narrower shoulders than everyone else, narrower thorax, had really poor muscle tone, and um, struggled to build muscle at all. Mm. And due to, I guess, the lack of knowledge during the time, was that just seen as oh okay so you, you're just your body's just a little bit different to others and we'll just leave it at that was that kind of how it was seen well it would have been nice if it was left like that but yeah. unfortunately everyone else seemed to notice the differences yeah yeah I, I just oh i feel so bad for you as like an awkward kid who's just being like just don't pay attention to it don't pay attention to it but well you really don't know that you're different to anyone else i mean you you're just born you're in the world you exist you just go on with life. You don't really know any different other than, you know, people point out bits and pieces about you and then, okay, well, that's a body image issue. But, you know... But no one at the... Sorry. No one at the time would have been like, oh, well, you kind of have the traits of someone who's intersex. They would have been like, oh, well, you just have different traits that we're going to probably bully you for. But it wouldn't have been like they knew the language to identify it. Well, I was born in the uh, sorry, 1950s, and I, when you're born in the 1950s, they do actually they did actually sort of assign births more by privilege. So there was a very strong male privilege for starters. Mm. But with me, yes, rightfully they did assign me correctly, but it's just my development sort of changed a little bit differently. With people noticing things back then they didn't intersex wasn't a word that was being used anywhere it wasn't something that was mm. known it was something that um you know people uh, doctors probably 
had ideas or th- or whatever, but you know there was more at the research stage at that stage with uh, Kleinfelters. It wasn't mainstream, so there was no real explanation. There, there must have been some sort of reaction from folks to see an assigned male child suddenly develop breasts, like some sort of. Okay, yeah. well, that was a complicated situation. That was during puberty. Yeah. Mm. So sort of from about the age of about 11 through 12, there was you know, some sort of noticeable change, but you know, it was kind of slight. But when I was 13, that really sort of took off. And I actually learned how to bind Mm. Um, how to hide things, disguise things. Okay. You worked out a lot of techniques to try and just fit into the world. So it wasn't a case of, well, you know, the world could see everything. It was a case of working out how to hide everything from the world to just fit into the world. Okay. And with um, we know that historically for a lot of people um, that are intersex, and especially probably around the same era that you were growing up, that a lot of the time, if they had quite obviously different external uh, sex organs, that they would get performed surgery for young children. Was that a common practice in those days? Okay, um, that's a very common practice for certain types of um, intersex variants, particularly with AIS or androgen insensitivity syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, there is surgery also performed on people with hyperspadia, um, and a few other variations. But w- with me, typically, there isn't any surgeries taking place. The way I found, you know, discovered that I was born intersex was basically through surgery, and they discovered that I had one ovary and one testy. Speaking of the variations, how many variations of, I guess, intersex status are there? There is at least 40, and... It also comes down to how they categorise them. Mm. They categorise everything uh, right down to polycystic, polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. They, a lot of people include that into intersex as well. So that's mm. just adding to the numbers. And each of these, like I guess, variants can have like really different effects, but also different like medical histories and different like discovery or not discovery, but like acknowledgement times in across like the history of it like it's it would be very very spread out and kind of shifting wouldn't it okay intersex has been something that they've during the 1800s uh typically a person born with intersex traits was assigned male they may not have uh, narrowed it down to a particular um type of variant but if um there was an appendage, uh, then you were assigned male. If you if you had a slitty, foldy bit, you were assigned female. Mm. It wasn't a case of they had particular categories or anything like that. These days, there is a lot more research that's been taking place, and over the over the last fifty years, there's been a lot more variants included into the uh, term intersex. Yeah. Do you think that there would be, this might be a bit of a random question, but for people that are trans, that, um, that you know, might have been showing, leaning towards being, you know, more feminine or more masculine, but then they've gone down the path of 
um, taking hormone replacement therapy. Do you think taking those sorts of uh, therapies and medications could potentially cloud someone that might have been born intersex but was never diagnosed? Is that a possibility or not really? Okay. If you look at the broader community, like the whole world population, Mm -hmm. approximately 10% of the world population are born as LGBTI. Mm. If you have a look at the intersex community alone, you have very, very similar proportions of LGBT people uh, within the intersex community. Intersex is a physical trait. It doesn't really define who you are, how you see the world or anything like that. Mm. Um, You're the only person who is ever going to know who you are, what your feelings are, and so on. Mm. So we have just as many gay people, lesbians, bisexuals, Mm. transgender people, asexuals, and any of the other um, extended acronym Mm. characters you want to use. That that actually surprises me a little bit because there are it's so common from my own perception of society that people will tie their identity to the shape of their body and you know the certain characteristics of their body and i did want to ask you before when you mentioned that you discovered that you had one testy and one ovary like you know what was your did that affect your identity any did that challenge you in any way upon learning that no. <laughs> uh, put it this way. It's a lot easier for me to exist in the world now. Originally, I would have to abstain from sports or going into public change rooms or anywhere people would possibly see me. Mm. I went through quite a significant portion of my life hiding myself. Mm. As I got older... I just got sick of, seriously, binding sucks. I know. Uh, like <laughs> wearing compression shirts, tying these things up. I, these things are half stuck up under my arm because they just got pushed under there mm. uh, over the years and sort of grew there. But uh, the ra- heat rashes and things, I decided one day I just can't do this anymore and just let everything hang out. So I did that for a couple of years. And over time, you know, I started to just get involved in sports and uh, getting, you know, going to gyms and things like that. And one day my personal trainer, she just said, look, for shit's sake, put a bra on, will you? <laughs> All the women in the gym here are just, you know, talking about you letting those things sway around everywhere. When you think about it, when you're in your 40s, they do go south. (laughs) (laughs) So you were speaking a little bit um, earlier about the kind of uh, broader LGBTIQA plus community and how there's like the intersection with the members of um, the um, intersex community. A kind of two-pronged question I wanted to ask. um, How did the I get involved or attached to the LGBTIQA plus? Historically. Yeah, historically. And secondly, does the intersex community want to be attached to that acronym? That's a really good question. I think the intersex community is quite divided on that. It's, yeah. it's you have different variants that fit into the spectrum quite differently. Mm. Like Kleinfeld is typically the majority of um, 
Kleinfeld as people are male. Uh, mm. They're born 47XXY, which uh, they see themselves as male. They just have a few um, things that or issues that they have to deal with. Mm. But then you have other people that are um, born uh, with AIS, and typically they're assigned female with a very typical female form and uh, external uh, features of a female. Mm. And the testosterone or androgens have very little effect on their body. So you have two different uh, groups of people. Each of those people really just see themselves as a majority of cases as assigned at birth. Yeah. With... um, a few other variations or variants, it starts to get a bit grey. But with AIS, typically we, ha- you have people that have had surgeries perform- pe- performed on them at birth or while they're um, children or at a very early age. And some of those people don't really accept themselves as being a, the gender that they were assigned. Mm. Know, by surgery, and they're living with Frankenstein stitches. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's a p- point where, like, the trans and intersex community becomes very, like, connected, uh, because I've met a lot of people who are both trans and intersex, and I've met some that identify as part of the LGBT community only for the trans half, and then some that also believe for, like, both sides of it are inherently uh lgbtqi like it's it's like a really interesting discussion to have with people when it's like how far do you does your personal experience lend you towards a community and which pieces of your identity do you like place within that or without okay it's very individual all right it's going to come down to how comfortable the person is how they actually see themselves in the world and typically uh Intersex people don't meet that many other intersex people. It's only unless you really, really seek out a support group. Uh, there are a couple of really fabulous support groups, uh, but you know they're fairly closed, and you know, membership is you know less than a thousand people. And when you consider you know the percentage of intersex people that exist in the world, there isn't very much support. We're isolated by the fact that. Uh, our doctors and um, all our support actually tells us to hide ourselves, not to talk mm. about it and not bring it up. But your question about how does the L, the G, the B and the T fit in with the I, well, historically, the originally the uh, lesbians had their support groups and they were quite active and gay men were starting to get a lot more persecution. And so by creating the L and the G, um, originally they sort of started to support each other and lobby. And then the bisexual uh, people were also included into it and they got a lot of support. So there was a very big collective being formed and there was a lot more advocacy going on. And... Uh, the transgender people were being persecuted 
in the you know quite heavily in the 80s and there was a lot of stigma associated with it so they were actually included into the acronym at that stage sometime later and i think it was about 8 years after that that the i was actually included because of the issues that intersex people were starting to have there was um a seminar or a um Oh, what's the word for where the doctors get together and talk? Like a, like a conference. Like a, a conference, yeah. So there was a conference where the doctors were talking about intersex and how to deal with it, and they excluded intersex individuals I was about from to ask the conference. How many intersex people were invited? Mm. And consequently, there was a series of riots in America about that. And then the I was included in the LGBTI. It's really interesting because it's like. There's there's the stigma attached to, uh, I guess, almost forcing intersex people to hide their identity. And then there's the ones that go, you know what, I actually don't want to raise that. I'm quite happy just living my life as I am, being quiet to myself. And then, yeah, so it's, it's quite hidden for different reasons. True of, honestly, any LGBTQI person. I not really. Know. Not gay men. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, but I, I do know that like like there are gay people and trans people that go, like, I'm just not involved in the community. I just... But I, I am that thing, yeah. but I'm not really a part of the collective. I think uh, it's it's really an individual choice. I, I did want to ask you, um, Andre. Just so doctors talking about intersex, you know, like it's mostly the last fifty, sixty years. And I know, was there a lot of like you know, we we touched before on um, non-consenting gen- uh, genital surgery on infants and i don't know like was there much of that sort of i guess you call it mad science going on okay well this comes back to john money and i'm sure that the oh. transgender community would sort of know quite a bit about that person i mean as a psych student i know a lot about David so Ryan, essentially <laughs> john money turned around and said well you know it's nurture not uh, nature that uh, identifies a person well if you talk to a lot of the intersex or people born with intersex traits that have had surgery performed on them that have had uh, that have been assigned on this aesthetic trajectory that uh, defines them as either male or female and they find that they're not quite satisfied with who they are well it sort of really just goes against anything that John Money ever yeah. Uh, came up with. Mm. So we actually form this in- intersectional portion of the whole broader community. Is this something that still happened? Like, we, we've seen a lot of more vocal backlash against this kind of practice today, but is it still happening? Right now, at the Royal Melbourne Children's Hospital, yes, it is. Mm. Oh, they so have surgeries quite regularly. Wow. I am... Um, this is a question. I... I Bouncing off of that, what do you want from the medical community in the future, currently in Australia? Like, obviously, that's one of them, but, like, in general, what's sort of the... Best practice. Best practice, best goals. I think they really need to start listening to us and talking to us as a collective. Um, Two years ago, so in 2017, they had the first Darlington Conference where a whole lot of intersex people got together and started to draw up a, a paper that actually outlined how we want to be treated, what mm. we need, mm. and what we need from doctors. And 
how they need to start treating us. And over the last couple of years, it's been uh, put together, and, and last year it was uh, released. So aside from the horrific way intersex children are treated sometimes by the medical community, what are some of the other issues that intersex folks face when dealing with doctors and medical Especially staff? ones the media doesn't talk about nearly as much as that specific one. Okay, in my case, it was um, a case of, I think, um, Trudy Kennedy was uh, someone that I reached out to a lot of years ago to just you know, get some help and deal with life. And uh, she referred me to an endocrinologist. That particular endocrinologist, based on the fact that uh, I knew that I'd been born intersex and that I knew that the particular variant that I had, basically said, I know, I've got an idea. We'll give you testosterone. That'll fix it. <laughs> well, I actually that... laugh at that because uh, that's kind of what my mum thought I needed, just saying that I'm a girl, despite the fact that you know I have typical XY um, normative chromosomes. <laughs> Well, it's one of those things that, you know, all right, you try it and you end up on this wicked psychotic roller coaster of, um, you know, this Emotions. aggression. <laughs> I was going to say, aggression I've been there. And this, uh, anger and uh, frustration and it's like, whoa. Very recently, I um, accidentally, because I'm dumb, missed for a month going to get my next tee shot. I got it after a month of not taking it. And I was like a week wrecked, hungry, upset, sad, angry. I was like, God, this is like the beginning years ago when I started it all over again. It's just a mess. Oh, God, <laughs> I, I feel you because like a couple of weeks ago, I ran out of my hormones and I couldn't see a doctor for a week to get a yeah. script refill. And so I'm, I'm basically a week without and I'm crying and yelling and throwing things and just yeah. just being a real brat well, at home. Me, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm estrogen dominant. Mm. So, but my estrogen levels, of every time I get them checked, are kind of always different. They're somewhere between two to five times the maximum that a cis woman would ever produce throughout her life. Mm. So, I don't know about you know, how bad it is for you when you... Oh, when I, I have, have a dose no, or no, something. When like I have that. no estrogen, that's when I go wild. So, Andrew, I wanted to ask you for people listening, what would be some of the biggest myths around what pe people think about someone that's intersex? I think people think that we're intersex into yeah. having it. Um, uh -huh. Sorry. I mean, I'm sure lots of intersex people enjoy sex, but uh, that's it's about the differences between us all we're such a broad spectrum of people we have such a broad variation in bodies um we're just born human beings natural variations and nobody really understands that hmm. yeah trans people we have a lot of fetishization is that a similar thing that comes out or with people um people that people have these preconceived ideas. I mean, people think that I went through surgeries as a child or something. No, I was just born different. And I th yeah, I think a lot of people often think that, oh, if someone's intersex, that means that they've got both full sets of <laughs> genitalia. Do you know what I mean? I think that's okay. the myth that people think. Um, my particular variation, 
used to be known as true hermaphrodism. Ah. Uh, where I had one of each gonad. But it's impossible for me to carry a child and awkward for me producing a child. But mm. yet I was able to have children. Yeah. Actually, um, I, I do want to touch on talking about um, anecdotal experience uh, that I've seen within the trans community. I've known trans women who, you know, will even say silly things like, I wish I was intersex as though... Oh, no, what for? Because they feel... (laughs) I think because they feel that it would lend more legitimacy to them not being male or not being female or being (sighs) more closer to one gender than another. And it's just like, that's a really silly thing to say. Okay. It doesn't matter who you are. All you want to do is just exist in the world. Yeah. Right? Whatever your body is, okay, it is. If you have a body that just doesn't fit the, or conform to what is expected of you, either male or female, you're going to go through an awful lot of stigma as a child and into adulthood. You're going to be hiding yourself. You're going to be dealing with a lot of crap. At least up until the time of your being ready for transition, you can exist in the world. You can suppress the outside people seeing what's on the inside Mm. so you can have a life to some extent you can go and play sports you can partake in other social activities you can go swimming and things like that but it gets a lot more complicated when your body isn't quite conforming to what is normally expected for holy male or holy female bodies absolutely Mm. and uh, that's something we and as I said, we have an equal portion of people who identify as LGBT as the rest of the community. And there's, there's cis intersex, there's trans intersex, there's asexual intersex. It's it's all across the board. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, Andrea, we are running close to time, so we're nearly at the end of our show. I do want to give you the floor right now, and if there's anything you want to say to the world right now, any particular point you want to make, it's all yours. I'd really like people to start using that word intersex because it's going to start this great big wave. You know, if one person tells two people, you know, do you know anything about intersex? Uh, have you uh, have you thought about it or you know, have you heard of anyone being intersex? And those two people go away and they also ask two people exactly the same thing. And pretty soon people are going to start to understand that intersex is something that really exists. It's not made up and Mm. that it's going to normalize the world. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of knowledge can go a long, long way. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on The Gender Agenda. Thank Thank you for educating us. Thank you, Andrea. It's been fabulous. And hopefully our questions have not been too, you know... Interrogating. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's been great. Uh, So from this, our very first podcast episode of The Gender Agenda, it's goodbye from Miranda. Goodbye, everyone. See ya. That was Rebecca and Rowan, by the way.
I was at work. I was riding my horse. I was microwaving a watermelon. My iguanas escaped. There are lots of reasons why you may have missed your favourite show, but don't worry, because our podcast team has you covered. They'll work through rain, hail and national glitter shortages to bring you the best bits of every show. Visit joy.org.au and click on the podcast tab or head to the iTunes Australia podcast store and subscribe to your favourite shows for free. Thanks to our podcasters, you'll never feel guilty about missing a show again. Joy.org.au Thank you.